Like some of the songs I liked as a teenager, not so much. And the songs I used to gloss over on the record and skip over are my favorites right now. Like on Diamond Dogs, uh, the Bowie album. The three songs between uh, Sweet Thing and Candidate, between uh, Diamond Dogs and Rebel Rebel, I think they're just, it's like, it's like, it's like theater music, like early 20th century European theater music in the context of like, that shit that Bowie sings about, you know what I mean, like that, the, the decadence of big city society, you know what I mean? There's just something, it's like, I it works for me, you know, like, I hear it, I'm just like, there's no way as a 17-year-old you're gonna be able to grasp, like, you can grasp Rebel Rebel, it's a killer riff, and he's singing about some androgynous kid who has problems or something, you know what I mean? Like, you can... You can grab it. Diamond Dogs is basically like an R&B tune, bowed up. But those tunes in the middle there, are they're very like, he's asking a bit from his audience, you know? And again, I think if you have a compelling personality like that, you can get away with it. I mean, I try to do the same thing. I'm just not as popular as David Bowie. <laughs> It's interesting. So now, but now, what, your guitar thing? Were you just winging it, or were you taking lessons up there, at Duke? Or were you I just going with the structural stuff. So you were in basically you were in a composition program. I really was, even though we didn't get an official one. I was really that's where the composing thing started, and then I started to any idea that I thought was relevant. I always tried to put on guitar and then of course I've always had this dual side you know I was I liked British metal as a kid and so the volume and the speed always appealed to me so I worked very hard on that do you think British metal is more French or more German (laughs) that's a good question let me think about that for a second is British metal more Lucy stop you know I would say that especially well, we should go to the top of the list. I would say that Sabbath is, again, it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, it really has its feet in... Well, you know, their great innovation is that if we all do the same thing, it will be heavier. You know what I'm saying? And if we lay off, if we lay off major thirds, it'll be heavier. Okay. You know, if we... if if we constantly pound on flat five, it'll be sinister. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to go into a place that isn't being done. Cause they were, they well, so it is more French, because it's mostly about orchestration. It's florid orchestration. That's right. <laughs> it is. And it's very... Uh, and it really has its moments, you know. Uh, uh, also, you know, his solos, his, his guitar playing, like... Where he goes with it is, even though obviously he was a blues player, just like everybody that played guitar, you know, at some points, like, he was really into Django Reinhardt. And it's funny, you can really hear that and how he chooses. You can, yeah, it's like he really, that whole, that kind of... It's, it's like somber almost. This is amazing. So you see Django in Black Sabbath. It's there. <laughs> this is great. It's there. The, the, uh, the, uh, it's there. It's even on the earliest stuff. 
you know and it, it, I think as time goes on it gets more obvious where you know where I think as he took the band over more you know I think it's even more prevalent you know the little breakdown in, in a symptom of the universe sounds very you know it's very much that it's even an acoustic guitar you know yeah it's, he's good man that guy's good and then he hacked off part of his hand like his last day at work and then like almost quit and then put poured plastic in. I mean he made his own prosthetics you know he cut off the ends of his fingers on his right hand no I, I didn't know Tony that. I don't yeah he these three chopped these off I mean this is a great heavy metal story and so then he first he tried to switch and, and just relearn how to play and he, and he couldn't do it then he was going to quit and then he he poured this plastic stuff and like made fingers and then took leather straps and tied them on now they're professionally made but those original ones wow. were made by him before he had money you know I had he, no idea. so that whole that first record first two records paranoid and uh, that's that's Tony's bone prosthetic fingertips uh -huh. Uh -huh. and that's why they tuned down because the, the tuning down, making the guitar looser, made it easier for him to play. They didn't tune down to be heavier initially. They tuned uh, down to relieve his fingers. Interesting. And they're all the way down in C sharp. That's why nothing ever sounds right when you if you play the later stuff after Paranoid. You play it, and you're like, oh, there's something missing, and it's because you're a minor third too high. Interesting. So now. Um, I first became aware of you here playing with uh, Benji and, and uh, what was that band called again? Well, we had King Thunder, and then one which we went acoustic, we were Hot Carl. Hot Carl. Yes. Let's discuss Hot Carl. Yeah, that that was a very important band to my development as a musician. That's why. Because Benji was a guy who, you know, I think out of necessity, he was just not a good copycat. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he wasn't one of those guys who could listen to somebody else play and do it. He wouldn't even hear the changes the same way. Like, he really, through through his personality, but also, I swear, just through how his ears worked, he... That's usually connected. Yeah, he just, he, he heard it different. He wanted it different. He was obsessed with things being raw. Uh, to a fault sometimes because sometimes you get I'm more of a by any means necessary kind of person which is like if it sounds raw and yet we went and worked it out for 10 hours who cares the ends always justify the means for me but he he got me to look at I had to approach his music in a different way because he insisted that I do so and I think that that was an important thing to do, you know, because it it made I was much able to I was better able to take directions after that. You know what I mean? It's like because after that, when somebody had some crazy idea, I'm always the one who's like, "Fine." What I'm really looking for is I want it executed properly before I decide whether it's a good idea or not. What were the features of his music? What was going on? He called it drunk funk. Okay. And and. We listened, we, we, both of us were very into Captain Beefheart, and that whole idea of simple ideas being displaced, and all, you do not have to dis, in fact, 
the shorter duration that you displace an idea, the more dis uh, difficult it is. I mean, if I move, if we have a dual part and I move mine by a sixteenth, and we're able to hold our parts together, it's going to be some whacked out stuff, especially if we're not playing the same notes. And that's what he was into. Very much so. And then I think I helped him get there as far as the execution. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was able to execute the ideas. So, and we fought a lot about a lot of stuff, you know, because it was just the two of us. But, it re again, and we didn't have a drummer, and so it really solved my time issues forever. It's like, there is nothing. The, I, there's, put it this way, I have a lot more trouble playing a samba than I do playing something in 13, you know, with no one. Uh -huh. I, I, you know, and I'm not saying that that's just the way that it is. I wish I played a samba well, but again, just like everything else, you, however much you've repped something is however good you are at it. And I've never done it live. You know, Trollson's the only guy I do it with. Yeah. You know, so that's a little rough at times. You know, they're like, oh, that samba's not happening. I'm thinking in my head like, well, not surprising. There's a real, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> Just like sometimes when we'll play rock sections, I'm thinking to myself, like, they're not really. It's, not, <laughs> it's close, but you know, I think the misconception about rock a lot of times is that it's not patient. Actually, a lot of the good stuff is extremely patient. Oh yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to pull it back so so that it has a lot of impact. But anyway. I'm surprised they don't think that's the case. I mean, the best examples we have are the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, and you wouldn't. So too. you'd imagine that I think people get at Jimi Hendrix band that you you would laying back is pretty fairly essential. But don't you think? Oh well, this is what I think. Having a lot of experience in this field is that people people associate rock. I just think people get agitated and amped up for it, and so it lends itself to, to rushing. A lot of times, like yeah. drummers, they start to ba they start to bash, and it's like you're really not bashing like this. You're bashing more like you're bashing, but you lean back at the same time. That to me is more. But the '70s wrecked everything. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, blame it on Boston and Kansas. Yes, exactly. Um, there was a bubble there. <laughs> but no, playing in High Carl was important because we were playing strange stuff and we didn't have anybody going <clears throat> behind it. And it really, I that, was the, that was the end of me rely relying on somebody else for my rhythmic sensibility. And I no longer do that in any playing situation. I'm not relying on the drummer to... I'm playing with the drummer, but I'm not relying on the drummer for time. Uh -huh. What was Benji's last name? Kozik. What happened to Benji? He is a doctoral. Uh, he's a doctoral. He's in uh, evolutionary psychology. He's getting his doctorate at, I guess, he's a PhD in philosophy, but that's he's at University of Arizona, and I know that he's. A, um, uh, I know that evolutionary psychology, I think, is his 
main area of expertise, you know, the argument of free will and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, it's very interesting because that's their, their, their domain is telling you that we don't have to choose anything. You don't get to choose anything, yeah. yeah. We're all preordained. It's a great preordained. And the only, the only problem is that what they come up with that you're preordained to do tends to be regular sort of, um, you know. Yeah, like robbing the the corner store. Yeah, it's some it's some mixture between robbing a corner store and, and monogamy, you know, or yes. polygamy. You know, it's, it's, it's the same damn arguments. Right, so, yeah, I mean, look, you still get in trouble for all that shit, regardless. <laughs> yeah, regardless. So, I mean, I, I love the idea of, of having that in my back pocket to be like, well, there's no free will anyway. But. Yeah, you could say, it really wasn't my fault, baby. It wasn't my fault. We, we know that. It's the I no fault books. It's, no, it's, it's like no fault insurance, right? I have all these textbooks that point out the fact that it wasn't my it's fault that my you fault. walked in and I was sleeping with your best friend. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm still in trouble. Pretty sure. Yeah. Now, look, I hate to simplify your whole field, you know. But, <laughs> so, but that's what musicians do, man. We, uh, yeah, we simplify. No, 